Well, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. My name's Ming, and I'm one of the ministry apprentices here at Auckland EV. So I'll be at that info night if you are interested to hear more about how the last two-year journey has been. But more importantly than that journey is the journey that we've just been on this last term, this term in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's been quite a, gr- a great one with lots of encouraging moments and challenging moments. Um, but today's passage is a bit of a reality check. Uh, as we wrap up the series, Paul leaves the Corinthians and us uh, with a bit of a challenge, a bit of an ouch moment. And I understand it's Labor Weekend, so we probably weren't expecting a challenge, uh, but do bear with me. Uh, so I'm going to pray, asking God to help us process this and understand uh, this passage in his word. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to receive your word with the right attitude, with humility, with respect. And as we process your word today, do give us understanding and conviction to apply this to our lives and live for you. May all that we do honor and glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The exam is finished. Stop writing and put your pens down. You are still under exam conditions, so please remain silent and seated at your desks. You are to stay seated and silent until you're told you can leave the room. For some of us, these words bring back unpleasant memories from way back when you had to sit exams in university or high school. Or perhaps these words are a reminder of the exams you have just around the corner. Exam season is starting. Tests, exams, they aren't very pleasant things. Or at least I I never thought they were very pleasant. And they can be quite confronting. You're faced with how you're really tracking along. And the passage we have today can also be seen as a bit unpleasant, a bit confronting, because this passage also talks about a test. You see it there in chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Now the word test Paul is using here is the same word used for like testing. Testing if this is the genuine article, the real deal. And you can imagine how polarizing this would have been for the Corinthians to hear. And I don't think it would have been easy for Paul to say something like this either. It's a bit of an awkward thing to say. I don't think many of us, if any at all, have had someone come up to us and ask, oh, hey, and by the way, you should probably test yourself to see if you are really a Christian or not. But Paul, he's not one of those leaders that's afraid to rock the boat, afraid to say the hard truths. He doesn't shy away from asking the people that he loves, the people he really cares about, that question. Paul just charges in there and gives it to them. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the genuine, real, true Christian faith. Paul is asking them, are you a real Christian? And so I think this will be a good opportunity for us to ask ourselves that question as well. Am I a real Christian? Now, I get it. This might seem a little weird and uncomfortable to do that. So I want to take this opportunity to answer why. 
why should we test ourselves? Why should we take this test? What's going on here? What is Paul doing? Let's unpack this a little. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 10. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, that when I am there, I will not use severity in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not tearing down. Paul isn't writing this letter so he can push people away from Christianity, not writing to tell people off for not following the rules. No, no. He wants to build them up, grow them, and of all the things he wants to end his letter on to achieve this, he leaves them with this question, are you really a Christian? And he wants them to be able to answer this well, to reflect on this themselves, so that when Paul comes and visits them this third time, he doesn't need to exercise authority, visit them just to tell them off or tear them down. Instead, he says to them earlier in verse 14, I'm coming for you. I just want you. And so I hope that we can see that when Paul asks, are you a real Christian? He's asking this for their benefit and our own benefit. To take this warning as a sign of love. And this makes sense because in the end, nothing matters more than figuring out whether you really are a Christian or not. This is the most important question to get the right answer to. This is a life or death kind of question. And if you can answer it well, it'll affect all of eternity. The fact that Paul is even asking this question must mean that examining ourselves to see if we really are Christian, Christians is testable in some kind of way. There must be some sort of evidence, something tangible that we can look out for that will tell us if we are real Christians. Being a real Christian must be a very specific, particular thing. Not something vague that is subject to opinion. Not something that you can just make up or, or fake. But something very specific. But this also must mean that you can think you're a Christian, but not be one. Let's not forget that Paul is writing to the church here. They all think they're Christians, but Paul has reason to believe that some of them are not. Reason to be concerned about them. It's possible to think you are a Christian, to claim to be a Christian, but not be one. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there are probably a ton of people in New Zealand, let alone the whole world, that have at some point entered into a shallow commitment into Christianity. It might be someone who has gone through some experience. They heard a nice message. There was some nice background music. They put their hand up, prayed a prayer, felt a warm feeling and thought, well, that must mean I'm a Christian then. Is that what a real Christian is? Maybe it's someone who's thinking, oh, I'm from a Christian family. My, my mom and dad are Christians. I went to church, maybe even a Christian school. I got this Christian culture in my life. I live good morals. Does, does that mean I'm a Christian? At the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I'd wager that many of these people, if pushed, would be forced to admit that they do not love holiness, they do not hate sin, they do not live in fear of God or walk humbly before Him. 
It's these very people that stand in the same boat as the Corinthian church, the church that Paul is worried aren't really Christians. So there's a bit of context, the why. And as we look at what exactly this test is, I'm confident this will be a helpful, beneficial process for you as it was for me. Even if it is a bit confronting, and makes you a little uncomfortable. And if you are a Christian, you'll probably be happy to test yourself anyway. You know there's nothing more important than this stuff, and you'll like getting the regular assurance of your faith. I've got one more thing I want to say, a sort of conditional statement before diving in on this test. This test is for you to examine yourself. I don't want to see people wandering around today actually saying to each other, hey, I'm not sure if you're a real Christian. You should probably test yourself. Yes, there's helpfulness in expressing concern for a friend or a loved one, but I mainly want us to reflect on ourselves. And this is ultimately because, in the end, only God knows who's really a Christian, and, and we're not God. And one day, we'll see at the end of all things, in Jesus' own words in Luke eight seventeen, there's there is nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. We'll see all things brought to light, and we'll find that it's those that held on, held on to the faith, despite all its struggles and, and craziness in the world, it's those that persisted in the faith that are real Christians. So, now we've got all that initial stuff under our belt. Let's, let's get into it. What is a real Christian? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test. Here's what a real Christian is. Having Jesus Christ in you. A bit of a vague statement. We might not even be sure what that looks like. But as we live out our lives, there are some key markers, key pieces of evidence that Paul is looking out for. There's three of them. A three-part test. So I'm going to list them out now and you can jot them down on your outlines if you'd like. Part one, real Christians trust and follow the real Jesus. Number two, real Christians have a sincere and real love for the church, other Christians. And part three, real Christians throughout their lives experience real change, actual transformation repentance. So there you go, three parts, real belief, real love, and real change. That's where we're going. So where do we see real belief in the true Jesus? It's actually at the center of this passage, a key issue for the whole letter. Paul is writing this letter because he's concerned that the Corinthians have a different idea of what the Christian life is. And their Christian living is looking totally different to Paul's. And Paul knows 
that when you have a wrong belief about Jesus, it leads to a wrong kind of Christianity. Last week, we learned that the Corinthians had kind of lost the plot a bit with who Jesus is, started following other teachers, super apostles. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. The Corinthians are claiming to believe in Jesus, to have Jesus, but Paul is saying to them, I don't know what that Jesus is, but that ain't the Jesus I brought you. This right here, this point, is the main indicator of a real Christian. Trusting and following the real Jesus Christ. And this piece of evidence is the one that the other two parts hang off. So we need to get this right. Let's dig into it. Have a look with me at 2 Corinthians 13, verse 3 to 4. He, Jesus, is not weak toward you, but powerful among you. In fact, he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by God's power. So what's going on here is that Paul... He's writing this letter to give them a bit of a warning, a heads up, that is coming this third time. But there's some people in the Corinthian church who had started to get confused with what Christ-like meekness, Christ-like gentleness, the way Paul is ministering to them, really is like. And they actually start to wrongly misjudge it as weakness. And what happens is, they start to think Paul's services was inferior to them. They even start to think, because Paul's teaching is free, it must not be as good as these super apostles. So they start to go after these other teachers. Throughout chapter 12, verse 12 to 18, you can check it out later, we see Paul even has to clarify that he doesn't just see them as sources of income. They didn't trick them by not charging them money, but he really does love them. He just wants them. But it's this kind of thinking looking for something superior, something better, that'll take you away from the real Jesus. The Corinthians were after a kind of super Jesus, the resurrected Jesus who was always on top, always powerful, always victorious, all the good stuff, but never weak, never humble, never suffering. But the problem here is, If you take away the meek, gentle, humble Jesus, the Jesus who suffered in weakness, who died, you take away the cross. You're taking Jesus away. And when you take away the cross, you start to lose sight of the seriousness of sin, the consequences of sin. Now, don't get me wrong with this. Jesus is definitely powerful, victorious, He dealt with our sin. He defeated death. That's powerful stuff. But he did it by becoming weak, by suffering, and then rising again three days later. If you don't get that, you're getting a different Jesus. And kind of like the Corinthians, we can all be tempted to make up a different Jesus in some way, to come up with a Jesus of our own liking, Maybe to make us feel good about ourselves. Maybe a Jesus who is okay with a certain sin. 
It could even be making up a Jesus that fits in with our culture better, to fit in with what Auckland culture is like. But ultimately, this is going to leave parts of Jesus out. A real common mistake is to say, I like to think of Jesus or God as this or that. But the fact of the matter is, no one gets to say that. God has already revealed himself in Jesus. He has come and revealed himself to us. And the Bible is the only way we can get to know God and get to know the real Jesus. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself. And if we don't keep coming back to the scriptures, we'll come up with a different Jesus. In fact, because we'll all naturally be inclined to make up a different Jesus, this actually gives us more confidence in the Bible. If it were just human beings making the stuff up, making up the gospel, we definitely wouldn't have come up with a Jesus like this. One who suffered, was humiliated, was made weak and poor. But instead, I reckon we'd have come up with a Jesus who was always powerful, always on top, one we didn't need to be ashamed of. I reckon we'd have come up with a Jesus similar to what the super apostles were teaching. But the reality is, we have a God, Jesus, who is gentle, compassionate, who suffered greatly for us, who has shown us true power and weakness. But because of this, because the nature of Christian ministry will look weak to the world, we might be tempted to think, this church, it's not good enough for me. This ministry, it's not good enough for me. I'm just not feeling it. I don't feel the spirit goosebumps running down my spine. I need something that has music that I like, has preaching that makes me feel good about myself. This is what the Corinthians were thinking and this is something that we need to guard ourselves from. We all need to keep asking ourselves, do I trust and follow the real Jesus? Am I letting my understanding of Jesus be shaped by the word? Do I regularly sit under the authority of the word and continue to open it in my personal time, in my connect group, at church on Sunday? Do I open the word of God and think, God, I trust you, I want to know you, and I want to let my understanding of you be shaped by what you say about yourself in your word. And in, in particular, keep, keep growing in the knowledge and understanding in this area of Jesus' weakness, how he was the suffering, humble servant. This is the area of Jesus that we'll be tempted to ignore, the part that's easy to be ashamed of. But Jesus is modeling to us, calling us to share in his sufferings, his weakness, to be given the strength, the power to endure through suffering, not simply just to get out of it, to die to yourself and live for God. Are you a real Christian? Ask yourself, are you trusting and following the real Jesus, the Jesus we see in the Bible? We need to get this right or everything else will come crashing down. Okay, so that was the first piece of evidence, real belief. 
And as we trick along, as the Corinthians forget the real Jesus, what he was actually like, they start behaving in ways that aren't very Christian. They start trying to push the boundaries a bit, kind of like a child seeing how far they can go before they get in trouble. And what happens is, Paul starts to think, I need to stop being lenient and start showing them some discipline. But he first gives them this opportunity to know his fears and concerns, a warning. Kind of like a parent going, I've told you once, I've told you twice, this is my third and final warning. So let's have a look at part two of the test. Real Christians have a sincere and real love for the church, for other Christians. This one's a bit of a doozy because I kind of get it. And I think we can all relate to this. People say they don't mind Jesus. He, he's all good. They like Jesus, maybe even love him, but they can't stand the church. They think, oh, the church has all these people. There's all this emotional and relational baggage. It's all quite messy, really, isn't it? And to be honest, there is some truth to this. We're not easy to love. I'm not easy to love. And no, I'm, I'm not only talking to introverts or anyone who might not like big gatherings. I'm talking about how we're all broken, fragile, sometimes unstable, like myself, but ultimately sinful. And even though Christ has saved us from our sin, saved us from the judgment of it, we're still living in the presence of it in this world. Christians aren't exempt from sin. We're still sinners. That's, that's why we're Christian. We've just come to terms with it and want to get out of it. And sometimes we let our sin get the better of us, and it does make us hard to love. But when you say, I love Jesus, I reckon Jesus Christ is in me, but I don't love the church, other Christians... You do know what you're saying, right? You're saying, I love the head, I like the face, but I don't like the body. It doesn't make sense to love someone's head, but not their body. It's actually pretty offensive. You can just imagine someone saying that to you and how you'd feel. When you get Jesus, you're getting the whole package. Back in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's first letter, check it out later, the church is called the body of Christ. And the church is made up of individual parts, individual Christians. And Jesus is saying, these people, these Christians, they're, they're my body. They are in me as I am in them. If you love me, you love my church, my body. And in our passage today, Paul is concerned, he fears, that the Corinthians aren't real Christians because he can't see real love, real concern, real care for other Christians, for the church. Have a look with me at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I fear, I'm concerned, that perhaps when I come, I'll not find you to be what I want, and I may not be found by you to be what you want. There may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. When you hear about a church that is struggling with some of this stuff, 
you might think to yourself, that's pretty normal. We're a community of sinners after all. But Paul's concern, his fear, is that this is going to be all that he sees. He's worried that when he shows up this third time, he'll find people that are first and foremost concerned for themselves and have nothing left for one another. He's concerned because what he expects to see in a Christian is love. And when we don't love the church, how can we really be loving Christ? And I know I get it. It's hard to have a serious love for each other, so much that we are prepared to give ourselves for one another, prepared to look out for other people's health, growth, to sacrifice time, energy, money. This term, money, has been a big one we've seen in 2 Corinthians. And Paul is touching on this very point of Christian love when he talks about money. Paul tells the Corinthians, I want you to give your money for the sake of other brothers and sisters in another location. Paul sees loving other Christians as one of the key indicators of being a real Christian. Do you love your money or do you love Christ and his body? The whole package. Am I a real Christian? Ask yourself, do you really love God's people? This is something we can try quietly to ignore, but honestly ask yourself, are you growing in your love and concern and care for the church? Do you make intentional, regular time to spend with your church family? Or do you see yourself just keep putting your job, your studies, your ambitions first? Are you giving yourself, sacrificing to help see people grow and for others to come join the church? That's what love is. Definitely hard. We will find it hard to love each other. But if you are a real Christian, Jesus will keep calling you back to God's people, to sit alongside people who struggle with sin, people who are hard to love. Real Christians have a sincere and real love for the church. So there you go. Real belief, real love, and now we'll touch on real change. Christians have real change in their life. When you become a Christian, you should expect some tangible change. I'd consider it a real shame if one of us were to one day look back at our life as a Christian and think, nothing's really changed at all. You can imagine if Jesus Christ is in someone, actually living in that person, God's spirit inside a human being, there's going to be some kind of evidence, something different about them. And this is not just a one-off change, but constant, persisting change. God doesn't just save us and then leave us. God uses his spirit in us to shape us and to mold us to look more and more like Jesus, to have the same affections, the same attitude, to have the same love, humility, and compassion. Christians are a work in progress, and God intends to mature us. This is, in fact, Paul's prayer for the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 9. We also pray 
Ask God that you become fully mature. So, am I a real Christian? Is there real change in my life? And this question is one of the questions Paul is worried, he fears, that the Corinthians can't answer. Have a look, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. I fear, I'm concerned, that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence, and I will grieve for many who sinned before and have not repented of the moral impurity, sexual immorality, and promiscuity they practiced. So, in this letter, the thing Paul is worried hasn't changed at all. The thing that is making Paul question if they really are in the faith is seeing no change in their attitude towards sex. Paul is essentially saying to them, you can't call yourselves Christian and still be sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Jesus Christ is not in you if you're still having sex outside of marriage. But regardless of what's going on in that context, the principle is clear and remains the same for us. Is there real change? Have you repented? Are you actually sorry for your sin? Paul is worried he will grieve for people who have sinned before and haven't changed in any way. Paul's thinking, shucks, was I too soft on this church? Was I too lenient? Now, I understand there will be times where we think there is some change, but not as much as I'd like to think. And so this, this part of the test, real change, might cause you to doubt your faith a little. So there's only, there's only two places doubt is going to come from. The first place, doubt from the sufficiency of Jesus' work on the cross. This basically means, I'm not sure if Jesus dying on the cross was enough for me. I'm too much of a sinner. This here really is just understanding who the real Jesus is. The first part of the test that we talked about before. I want to encourage people in this situation to keep going to passages that talk about the cross, Jesus' death, and its sufficiency. There's a whole lot of them. You can ask me for them later. God knows how broken we all are, so he is offering us mercy, grace, forgiveness. And his grace is sufficient for you. But the second cause of doubt, the second cause of doubt, will come from suppressed sin. Here, we really need to dig in and ask ourselves, is there a concern about sin in my life? Am I taking my sin seriously? Or am I just apathetic to my sin? Like, I don't really care about it. We need to remember that Jesus is reigning right now as judge. And if you are claiming to be a Christian, but still deliberately living in sin still sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend, still holding on to some lies, still gossiping or listening to gossip, whatever it is, if you are still deliberately living in sin while claiming to be a Christian, there is no sacrifice for sin left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment from the risen Jesus. That's from Hebrews chapter 10 for you if you want to check it out later. This is a serious warning. So serious that Paul speaks as if this third visit is going to be similar in, the power, similar in power to the judgment of the risen Jesus. So this did make me wonder, what exactly was Paul going to do if this third warning had no effect? 
What would him not being lenient look like? The only thing I can say with confidence is to check out 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Check it out later. Here, Paul explicitly tells the Corinthians they must not associate themselves with anyone who claims to be a Christian, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer. He even goes as far to say, do not even eat with these people. Do not even eat with people who claim to be Christians, yet deliberately live in sin. There's some food for thought. And as Paul gives the Corinthians this warning, giving them time to reflect if they're in the faith, if there is real change, ask yourself, am I someone Paul would be concerned about? Or in Paul's words, is there godly grief, godly sorrow about your sinfulness? Or is there just worldly grief? Here's the thing. Everyone feels sad about their sin, especially when it impacts them and the people around them. But the Christian feels godly grief. They aren't just sad for themselves, not just sad for how it hurt the people around them, but actually sorry for God and how your sin impacted him, hurt him, dishonored him. And godly grief leads to repentance leads to a U-turn, an actual change. You stop going the way that you're going and go the other way. You don't just stop doing your sin with it sitting in front of you. You actually run from it, flee from it. Worldly grief spirals down into self-grief. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't solve anything. It actually leads to death. But godly grief leads to repentance real change, and God is waiting for you, arms open, to turn from your sin, and in your godly grief, run to him. There is no shame in this, because Jesus truly has paid it all. Am I a real Christian? Ask yourself, is there godly grief in your life? Is there real change a deep desire for change? Do you pray, I want to be renewed, shaped, matured, transformed to look more and more like Jesus? Now, friends, as we look at these things today, real belief, real love, and real change, there's only one of two reactions you can have. You're either thinking... Yep, I see those three things, and I want to celebrate and keep pursuing those things. If that's the case, you can be assured that and more confident of your salvation. Keep running and practicing these things. But the other reaction, the other reaction is for those of us who aren't so sure. You might have even started to doubt, start to wonder, is Jesus Christ in me? Am I a real Christian? You might have felt a little prick in your heart today. If that's you, for even just one of these points, then please know that this doubt, this conviction is God's mercy to you. The fact that you came here today to hear all this, to hear that you currently might not be in a great place with God, that's God showing mercy to you, wanting you to stop living in ignorance 
to become aware of all this and run to Jesus, run to Jesus and keep going. We have a God of grace, mercy, a God who just wants you. So dig into these things, chat with a good friend, or even consider giving your connect card a tick about talking to someone about Jesus. Really do wrestle with these things because nothing is more important. So friends, we've all got sin in our life. Things we might be struggling with. Things we might need to repent of. So I'm going to pray now in a minute and give those over to God. And as we wrap up the series in 2 Corinthians, these last 13 weeks, let's just, let's just pause. Pause and reflect on ourselves, examining ourselves. Am I in the faith? Do I trust in the real Jesus? Have a real love for other Christians? See real change in my life. Do I have Jesus Christ in me? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on our sin and how unworthy we are to come before you, as we reflect on the past 13 weeks, this series, help us to really accept this challenge. Help us to really reflect if we are believing and following the real Jesus the Jesus you have chosen to reveal yourself through in your word. Help us to reflect if we have a real love for the church. Do we really love other brothers and sisters? Help us to reflect on our sin and if we really are running from it. Do we see real change in our life? Please do reveal that to us. But as we come before you now, we come before you with great thanks. Thanks for your mercy. Thank you for revealing this to us today. We thank you for your son. We thank you for what he has done. And please do help us to hold on to the lessons learned this past term, the lessons learned today, and help us to hold on to the faith that we have a certain hope of resurrection. May we honor and glorify you in all that we do. We lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen.